from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Good morning. My name is Mark Downs. I'm an elder and currently serving on session here at First Presbyterian. Please join me in our call to worship. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Lift up your eyes and look around. Come, let us worship the God of light and joy and peace. Friends, our first scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. You can follow along on page 649 in the Old Testament in your pew Bibles. But listen now for God's word to you and to me. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 1 in the New Testament in your pew Bibles. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from the exact time when the star had appeared. 
Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child had, had been born. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned, warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, break open your word afresh to us this day so that we may be different people than those who came into this sacred space, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if it were known for anything, the town of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, would be known for at least these two significant accomplishments. First, in 1939, some people from Williamsport created an entity called Little League Baseball. And this small town hosts every year a not-so-small global tournament called the Little League World Series. Truth be told, that's really what has put Williamsport on the map. But there is a second accomplishment that, that sort of lives in the shadow of the first, but on this particular Sunday, I think it's interesting to note. For it was out of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, that the now-famous Christmas Carol, We Three Kings of Orient Are, was actually first penned. In 1857, the Reverend John Henry Hopkins, Jr., rector of the Christ Episcopal Church in Williamsport, wrote both the tune and the lyrics, something very unusual in hymn writing, to write both the tune and the lyrics, and he subsequently published it in 1862, solidifying its standing as probably the most popular Christmas carol to ever been produced in the United States. Well, the lyrical content of We Three Kings is based on what is commonly referred to as the story of the visit of the Magi, which is only recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the texts that Anne Henley read for us today. Now, there are three assumptions made just within the title of this carol, three assumptions that we may take for granted that, that actually don't measure up with the integrity of Matthew's account. First, there's this, a distinct number of visitors, three, we three kings of Orient are. The carol names three visitors, but we're not given a number of visitors in Matthew's account. He doesn't tell us how many wise men actually show up on the scene. 
Some post-biblical writings concerning this visit have made the assumption that there had been three visitors because there were three gifts offered, one visitor carrying one gift, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So that's the first assumption, that there were three wise men that had come to visit the Christ child. The second assumption is that they were kings, we three kings. But in Matthew's account, there is no word for kings. We translate it to the the term wise men. It's actually uh, the Greek word magi, which could mean astrologers. It could mean ambassadors or even priests from a royal court. We're not sure exactly what this word or, or who this title, this title of Magi, who these people were and what they were referring to, what Matthew was referring to, rather, in describing them. A reference describing these visitors as kings is nowhere to be found in Matthew's story. Nonetheless, in writing the carol, Reverend Hopkins Jr. was probably influenced by, that, by accumulated writing over the years that generations of, of Christians had produced trying to, to make sense of this story, trying to explain this story. And what you'll find across scholarship and across the globe is that, that different Christian communities talk about these three as being kings, and they actually give them names. And of course, from one country to the next and one story to the next, these kings have different names, and they rule different kingdoms. So we three kings. Let's not have integrity with the Matthew account. Finally, the carol's title tells us that they were from the Orient, which for Hopkins Jr. would have meant somewhere in Asia. But truth be told, where these visitors actually hailed from is is really just speculation. Some scholars think they were from Arabia, some think they were from Persia, and others think they were from Chaldean descent. See, friends, at the end of the day, as much as we love this Christmas carol, we're not sure how many magi there actually were. We're not sure if they were kings or rulers or astrologers or something else from some priestly or government court, and we're not sure where they hailed from. And because Matthew is the only one of the four gospel writers to actually have this account, Luke has an infancy narrative He has an an infancy story about about Jesus' birth. Mark and John do not. Because Matthew is the only one who has this story, his is the only one that we can go on to begin to understand what was taking place, at least from his perspective. New Testament scholar Raymond Brown is quick to point out the challenges that are inherent in having two differing accounts of Jesus' birth, right? I just said both, both Luke and Matthew have accounts, but they differ in significant ways. And one of the differences is that the Magi don't show up in Luke's story. In Luke's story, he has local poor shepherds showing up to visit the Christ child. In Matthew, he's got these exotic foreigners coming to pay Jesus homage. Every time we set up our creche for the Christmas season, we put it on the fireplace, we we put the magi there, and we put the shepherds there, and when we put them all under one little trough, one little hut, we're combining two distinct stories. 
one from Luke, one from Matthew. So the disparity naturally begs the question, right? Were there actual magi present for Christ's birth? And if they were, how many were there? And where did they come from? And, and who exactly did they represent? Or were they kings? Did they represent themselves? Brown says that while questions about the historical detail surrounding rather the visit of the Magi are more than appropriate to ask in trying to interpret the meaning of this text, and, and certainly we want to ask historical questions when we're trying to interpret the scriptures. He says, though, because Matthew's account can't can't be verified by any other writers or any other piece of history, it may be better for us as the Christian community not to ask the question, what? But to ask the question, why? Why does Matthew include the Magi in the infancy narrative? Why would he add this piece, this very mysterious and, and, and vague account of these foreigners from the East coming to pay the Christ child homage. In other words, what theological message is Matthew trying to communicate to his early readers? Here's an amazing part about the, about the longevity of the scriptures, right? Matthew is writing for a particular community in a particular place at a particular time. He, he had no idea that one day a group of Christians in the city of Atlanta would be hearing this story again. But the same instinct that, that he had for his community that he was writing for, I think is the same instinct that he has for us, even if he didn't know it. Which is, how is the church, how are we formed by this text? What does it say about us? What does it say about the community we have been called to be? Might it be that the message Matthew is seeking to convey with the telling of the Magi's visit is that the birth of the Christ child is not just good news for locals. It's not just good news for the Jews. But in fact, it is good news for the whole world. It's good news for all people, including foreigners from the East. The Christ child will not only welcome his own people, he will also welcome and receive strangers and foreigners and outsiders. Friends, this birth is not a parochial event. This birth is a global happening. It is for the world. What Matthew might be saying is, look, this baby will be adored and worshipped by people from both within the house of Israel and from people, by people, all over the planet. This is the very thing that was prophesied in Isaiah 60, another text that Anne Henley read, that there would be a day when strangers and foreigners and outsiders would worship the one true God that this prophetic pronouncement by the prophet Isaiah is being realized in Matthew's telling of the birth of Christ, that, that this is actually taking place in history where those from the outside are actually welcomed in. You see, one of the remarkable qualities of the global Christian community 
is and should be its welcome of the stranger, its welcome of the foreigner, its welcome of the outsider. I, I have been to Christian communities in Mexico and in Honduras, in Germany and in Croatia, and in France, and in England, and in Scotland, and in the Czech Republic, and other places around the world. And every Christian community that I have been invited in, I have been met with radical hospitality and welcome. Not only that, these communities want me to share my gifts. They want me to make a, a contribution to their faith and their life together. Not only do they welcome me, but they, they want to welcome who I am and my gifts that I might bring the way the Magi brought their gifts to the Christ child that I might bring as well. Those of you who have visited our global partners on their home turf know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly the kind of radical hospitality that also invites us to share the gifts that God has called us to steward. You know, in just a few weeks, First Press will be welcoming our mission partners from Brazil here in Atlanta. A few weeks after that, we'll be hosting 700 Presbyterian leaders serving across the country and throughout the world for the next church conference. It'll take place three days toward the end of February. Each and every week, we stay connected to efforts within Atlanta to resettle refugees. Each and every week, we open our doors to the people of this city for food and for shelter and for clothes and for empowerment and encouragement and for worship and spiritual renewal and pastoral care and fellowship and each and every act of welcome and each and every act of hospitality that we embody as a church where we are like the Holy Family, welcoming the, the strangers and the outsiders from the East, a welcome that also must include, and friends hear this, it must include the dignity of inviting others to share their gifts all of that, when we embody that welcome, when we mirror and mimic that welcome like the Holy Family welcomed those visitors from the East, what we're actually doing is completing a vision that, that Matthew had for the church, informing the community by telling this story to be a radical, welcoming church, a radical and welcoming people, that we would welcome anyone who comes to give their gifts, who comes to adore the Christ child. Let me close with this. There's one more bit of theological formation, I think, in this text that, that is important to note. It's connected to my sermon title, By Another Road. Matthew tells us that after the Magi visit and are welcomed by, by the Holy Family, that they, they avoid Herod. Did you catch that part of the story that they avoid Herod? Remember, Herod asked them to come back to let him know where the child was exactly. But Matthew tells us that they don't go back to Herod and instead, I love this line, return to their home by another road. Isn't that a powerful image? They return home by another road. You see, once... You come face to face with the Christ child. 
Once you experience that unmatched love and grace that God has given to you and to me and to the entire cosmos in the gift of the Christ child, once you experience that love, you can't travel the way you used to travel. Do you know what I mean? Once you experience the grace of God in your life, you can't walk the same roads that you used to walk because you're a changed person. You know you have met the Christ child when you can say, I used to walk these roads, but now I walk these. I used to walk the road to Herod, a road that seeks to hold on to power, a road that seeks to hold on to autonomy, a road that seeks to, to let me be in control of my own destiny, a road of fear, sometimes even a road of hate. We have left that road. And now we travel another one, one marked by the virtues that this Christ child would, would live for and die for, virtues that he was raised for, virtues of forgiveness and a godly purpose, mercy and, and grace and trust and love. For when you encounter the Christ child, you've got to leave by a different road. We're in a new year. 2016 is upon us. If you're like me, you think about resolutions, you think about commitments that last maybe one or two or three days, maybe weeks. But maybe one of our resolutions this new year might be to travel home by another road. We begin 2016 in worship with communion. We believe in this community that we meet the Christ child and receive his grace when we partake of the bread and the cup. We have brought our gifts of worship this morning. We have come here not by accident, led by the Holy Spirit to give of ourselves to this God of grace and we have met this God once again. Now is the time to journey home by another road. Now is the time to stop taking the roads that lead back to Herod and start taking the roads that find their origin in our encounter with the Christ child and his call to be his witnesses. And so church, because you have met him, because you have received him, because you have offered your gifts to him once more, I ask you, what road must you now travel? And my encouragement is, by God's grace, that you would take it. Take it. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of God's people say, Amen.
Once you meet the Christ child, once you experience his grace and his love and his call upon your life, you can't travel the same way. You got to go home by another road to bear witness to that love and that grace you have yourself experienced now sharing it with your family and your co-workers and and your colleagues and in social settings in every corner of your life traveling this new road of God's good purpose for you and for me. For that journey and for that road that we walk, may the peace of Christ, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Him. May His peace live inside of you this day and every day.